Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know what to do with the clutter. You you got a room like this in, at home? Where 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 is that? Any uh, I live in Nashville. Yeah. Any room that they leave to me, my wife leaves to me. <laughs> yeah. I love it when she goes in to straighten it up. Yeah. I can't, I can't find anything if she straightens <laughs> it up. You know? There's a there's an order to it, and it's sort of it's cozy. You know, the more stuff you're surrounded by from your life, what do you got in there? Um, junk, basically. Yeah. But I think it's really important for some yeah. reason because I've kept it, and uh, about every three years I'll find something I haven't seen in years and years. Yeah. And I'll put it back. Yeah. Don't why I don't throw it away. I don't know, but I don't. You know, I wonder about that too. You know, when I sit in here, because I think like uh, you know, maybe I could just get rid of a lot of this stuff, and a lot of the stuff that you know, I I don't know if I take time to look at it or not. But like you said, sometimes you have that moment with something, and it'll take you somewhere, even if it's for a second. And I just don't want to turn around and put it in a wastebasket. Right, or throw it away because then, you know, you've lost a a time travel machine. Yeah, I mean, it would be good if it was like cash or something you stashed away. Right, right. right. The surprise cash. Yeah, right. Yeah, I I don't don't think I have any of that. (laughs) Do you? Uh, I haven't found it yet. (laughs) How long have you lived down there? Lived in Nashville since 1980. I moved there from... uh, Chicago. I was born and raised in the western suburbs of uh, Chicago. Yeah, like what? Now, what town? Maywood. Yeah, was right, it right off of Madison? So we were neither north side or south side. Like we were half a block off of Madison. Yeah, and went to what? What your what your old man do? He was a tool and die maker at the American Can Company. Oh, really? Yeah, he'd moved up there in the thirties from. Uh, Western Kentucky, uh-huh. uh huh, to get factory work because there was no, unless you uh, wanted to work in the mines or your family had a little business or something, there wasn't really a lot of work in uh-huh. in uh, that part of Kentucky. So him and a lot of his cousins and stuff drifted up towards Cleveland, Detroit, Chicago for factory work. Uh huh. And if you did get work, you usually sent for somebody else back home and they'd come live with us and. They'd try it out and either move back to... My dad always thought that he was going to go back to Kentucky, so he raised us as if we were from Kentucky, even though we were born and raised in the Chicago area. And what what is that? What does that mean to be raised like you're from Kentucky? Well, yeah, he always thought that he was going to make enough money to move back there. Right. But like... Uh, he rented the same house yeah. for 38 years. He could have paid for it three times, you know. <laughs> so in his mind... Yeah. We, you're gonna, we're all going back. Right. He, he, uh, I remember in particular, uh, they asked us at school, this is like third grade or something, yeah. uh, go home and find out what your origins are, what, where your parents are, uh-huh. are from, what countries. And a little girl in front of me, next day in school, a little girl in front of me stands up and goes... Well, my mother's family's from Sweden, and my father's family's from Germany. Yeah. And I stand up, and I go, pure Kentucky and the last of a dying breed. <laughs> you know, that's what my dad taught us to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was a, a Southern pride. Yeah, but we, but we were Chicago kids. And, yeah. But we sure appreciated Kentucky because of his and his and our mother's enthusiasm for the area. That's where they were both from. And and is that what – now, what kind of what kind – of, um, situation was there down there because i i don't know much about kentucky but i'm always taken with hearing stories about the the south because there seems to be a much more elaborate and sometimes gothic history of that uh, region like i've been to lexington but i don't know what that's totally different right that's going towards eastern kentucky and lexington is very um well because of the horse farms mm-hmm. and everything it's it's kind of high class yeah high class but also not far from lexington is You'll find towns that aren't, you know, that are just oh, barely yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. a few, a few you know, miles away, and, there's and a it, little, not much indoor plumbing necessarily. In eastern Kentucky, yeah. far eastern, right by the West Virginia border, that's even, that's totally different. That's real Appalachia. That's Hatfields and McCoys. That's, yeah. You know. It's, sure. And where was your family from? They were western part of Kentucky, like, um, I live in Nashville now. Yeah. And if I go 90 miles straight north. hmm you're, I'm in Muhlenberg County, and that's where my parents. You're, are from. you're in the land of your origin. Exactly. And do you, did you grow uh, when you were growing up? Did you spend time down there? Did your grand folks? Yeah, they m- mainly in the summer times. Yeah. Uh, go down and visit aunts and uncles and big family. Uh, my granddad, and big family, and uh, we've always, we still have a family uh, 
reunion where we all uh huh. These are all all the uh, my mom's sisters, and my dad's family. They're all gone. Uh huh. And um, the cousins still get together. You know, your cousins. Yeah. Oh. You know, and some of them you, you haven't met before. Their children. They're, sure. Their grandchildren. It was kind of the idea my mother told me as we were growing up and going to the family reunion that she always hoped that after their day had gone, that the kids once a year tried to get together and keep in touch with your with your family, which is mostly a good idea. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and sometimes it's very interesting. It's like Thanksgiving and Labor Day. You know? Right. So, so, so are we talking, uh, you know, uh, 50, hundreds, 30? Sometimes it's as little as 30. Yeah. And sometimes it'll be up around 90. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, you know, and uh, what's great now is a lot of them I hardly know. I have to ask the kid, little kids. I don't know who yeah. they are. <laughs> right. But it goes over a period of three, four days. We spend it right together. In, in this, Kentucky. Uh, yeah. Is there still family property there, or you just meet there? No, there's no family property. No, nobody had <laughs> nobody had any savings of alone family property. Yeah. You know? And where did you where did you first hear uh, hear the music that that moved you to 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 do music? Like your your grandfather, what kind of man was he? I don't uh, know if they're connected, but I'm, I'm placing it in Kentucky. Uh, both my grandfathers were from Kentucky. Yeah, one was a carpenter. That was my father's father. And as soon as he would get done with the job, yeah, he would pull his family up and move. Oh yeah, to the next city for the next carpenter job. Uh huh. And my dad went to something like nine different elementary schools. Uh huh. Up north and down in the south. Yeah. He had a southern accent. He stuttered, and he was the new kid in school. <laughs> oh no! So he said he learned how to fight like right away. You know, <laughs> tough, tough guy. Yeah. And uh, and and who played music? Any what was the music in the house? Uh, it was the radio. My dad loved country music. And he'd yeah, play, he'd play. He'd sit at night and uh, he'd drink beer by the quart because he claimed uh, it was more like draft beer. Uh huh. You know, if you sat sure. there and poured a glass or, yeah. uh, from the quart, yeah. And he'd have the radio sideways, an old zenith in the kitchen window, yeah, facing the south. And we had a good country station in Chicago, WJJD. But uh, on the weekends, you could pick up the Grand Ole Opry. If, if you tilted the, it right? The weather was yeah. right, and you tilted it right. <laughs> and he'd sit in there with his quarts of beer and have me sitting next to him with an orange pop. And I'd be listening to Webb Pierce and Johnny Cash. And, yeah. You know, Hank Williams Sr. and just uh, all this stuff. And I listened to it because because of my dad's love for it. Uh-huh. You know, I, re- yeah. I realized that many years later. But meanwhile, I was growing up listening to rock and roll sure and i had an oldest my oldest brother dave who's 10 years older me decided to teach himself to play guitar and fiddle and mandolin and he needed somebody to play with him for rhythm right right so he taught me how to play old-timey country music like just uh three chords yeah Uh uh-huh and after i learned him when i wasn't accompanying him uh, I tried to play my some of my favorite songs. Yeah, and they didn't sound like the records, mm-hmm. so I made up my own words. And that was, was it. I started doing it since I was fourteen. And and his was he playing bluegrass music with those instruments? Uh, not quite bluegrass. It's called like it was a, it was a precursor to bluegrass. Uh, this referred to as old timey music. Uh huh. So like 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 uh like what was what who would those artists be? Oh boy. Yeah. Uh, like old timey country, like swing music. Yeah, almost? I'll tell you who revived it was um, uh, during the the big folk thing of the late fifties and early sixties. Yeah, is New Lost City Ramblers. Okay, they went and got a lot of those archival stuff. Right, right, and right. brought them back again. Right. What was their label? I, you know, were they on? Uh... They were on Vanguard. I oh think. yeah, 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 Maybe. yeah. I think yeah. you're right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So that it's interesting about that. About that that folk revival and uh, and just sort of this digging through the 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 musical you know pile of America that it was a real conscious thing it was a reaction wasn't it Yeah, I think it was yeah and it seems like it's coming around uh, uh, we spend a lot of time over in Ireland because my wife's from there oh it's, that's the most beautiful place in the world it's gorgeous we're we're getting ready to go over for a, about a month and a half this summer oh you lucky bastard yeah I love it I love it we we, we got a place in Galway in oh the West my Ireland. god. Yeah. I, I, I envy you. I, 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 you know, it's like I'm not, 
I've got no roots there. You know, I'm a, yeah. you know, my roots are Eastern European Jew. And I, for some reason, <laughs> I go to Ireland and I'm like, I feel like I'm home. This place is, it's beautiful. It, it really is. Does she know. have family there? Yeah, that's what we go back. She's got five sisters still. And, and they're all in Ireland? And her mother, yeah. No kidding. Yeah, they're all in, in uh, Ireland. And uh, Fiona and I, we had a long distance romance in the late 80s, early 90s. And, no kidding. And uh, I'd go over there whenever I had more than a week off. How'd you meet her? I met her at, um, I did a couple of shows over there. We did a um, a festival that was around, what they were doing was getting guys like me and Guy Clark and yeah. American folk and uh-huh. singer-songwriters together with Irish bands. Oh, really? And yeah, yeah. we did about three days in Dublin. At the Vic? No, no. At um, this is a venue that became the venue. Eventually. Oh, the Vicar is what I was at. The Vicar, I think, is yeah, what I was at. Vicar yeah. Street. Uh, this was uh, the old. Uh, uh, it was down by the river. I forget what they called it then. We were the first music in there. It was, it was the old train station. Uh huh. Uh huh. And uh, so American folk artists with uh, Irish bands. Yeah, and Fiona, I think they're still doing that. Yeah, and my wife Fiona. She worked at. Uh, at one of the big studios in Dublin. She managed it. Uh-huh. And um, where U2 cut and everything. Uh-huh. So she was in on the music scene there, and she came down to hear these things they call the sessions. Uh-huh. And that's how we met. Uh-huh. Did and she know you before? Uh, she said she came and saw me when she was 16 years old. That would have been the first time that I ever played Ireland. Uh-huh. Uh, and what year and would that have been? What, what? That would have been 1980. Okay. So she came to see me, and uh, she's been thinking about you ever since. Well, she had me. I was in the back of her mind, at least. And uh, you made an impression, (laughs) exactly. Uh, I was uh, after the sessions. After this thing, they threw a party for all the artists. Uh huh. And uh, it was a horseshoe-shaped bar. Yeah. And a buddy of mine was standing about ten feet away from me, holding a guitar up and saying, "Hey, John, come on over. Let's play a few tunes." I couldn't physically get from where I was to him because the bar was like 10 deep at each. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had to go around the long end, the far end of the bar. Yeah. And that's where she was standing. Uh-huh. And a little red-headed uh, blues singer that I knew in, in Ireland yeah. introduced, said, come here, John Prine, meet this girl. <laughs> and we've been together ever since. So that's sweet. So you guys have been it's been together since 1981. 80, 1980. And this is, you've been married, you've been married before. Twice. That's, yeah. That's the music business. Yeah. yeah. That's the music business. You stay, you stay on the road and. Yeah. And those are the songs. That, uh, you know, it's a, it's a sad fact, but it's true. It I, is, right? Some of the best songs are written. If you're a songwriter. Yeah. And somebody breaks your heart. Yeah. Boy, there's some great songs down there. You know? Yeah, yeah, there, there really there, is. Yeah, but you know, you get to a point. Maybe I, I don't know if you've got to this point where you're like, I don't know if I need another one. No, I, I, <laughs> I know I don't. Yeah, I know I don't. <laughs> you know, sometimes when I'm going through periods and not writing, you yeah, know, you're thinking you know, like, oh, Fiona maybe. will say to me, "What do I, what do I have to do? Leave you in order to get you to write a song?" Yeah. Well, you, when you were writing the songs. And I, uh, the the Ireland uh, thing, though, it, we were sort of talking about uh, uh, folk music, and and I felt like we were moving in a direction where you were about to talk maybe about the folk music of Ireland. I noticed this is about seven eight years ago yeah. that the buskers on the street out in Galway and uh-huh. Dublin were starting to play the old timey songs, the country songs, the, the no kidding, like pre bluegrass. Uh huh. That was becoming popular amongst. I'm talking about eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds. Yeah. And here I'm going, how did they hear that? You know, right. why, why is that becoming popular again? Isn't that interesting? It really is. You know, and it does it on its own. It's and it's a- also some sort of full circle because those, I, I think those Celtic rhythms are, are definitely part of the Appalachian that's catalog. Where, that's where it started. It came from uh, Scotland and right. Ireland. Those, right. Yeah. That, that that rhythm and the, the way of playing. Yeah. And, and I think some of the fiddle too, right? And the and the ballads about taking a girl down the river and sure. murdering her and drowning her. <laughs> All those high, those happy Celtic themes. That was a successful date, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. But when you started out, so you're listening to Grand Old Opry music and your brother's doing 
that that uh, that type of music, the old timey music, and your dad's listening to what's becoming uh, modern country or or the the great country artists. And you're listening to rock and roll, and the folk explosion certainly hadn't happened yet. And so, what do you kind of, what are you fiddling around with? My, uh, I went with the way my brother taught me to play, uh-huh. which was old timey music and bluegrass, right? And and it was familiar to you because you listen to country, yeah. And it, and I would so I wrote my songs with the only way I knew how. If my brother would have been a big Chuck Berry fan. Right, maybe I would have learned electric right from the start. Right, and wrote my songs to though to a different a blues sort of bass thing, but it was just happened that that's the way he taught me. Yeah, and I wasn't going to go to somebody else and learn how to play rock and roll. Yeah, well, you're probably better off, you know, given the thoughtfulness of the lyrics and the uh, the sort of uh, you know you want the lyrics to be up front. Right, you you know, and, and there's something about country music and uh, that lends itself. To uh to to putting the the lyrics up front, it's about the it's about the story. If you're not Chuck Berry, it's hard to tell a story in rock and roll. That, I'm, I think a that's true. Story, you know? I think that's really true. And I think like I, I get what you're saying about the because it seems to me that you know just getting back to that you you starting to hear that old time in music on the streets in Ireland sort of led to you know uh, the Mumford and Sons and the right. you know and what in in a sort of resurgence of uh, of singer songwriters in that vein. We're seeing a lot of that now. It's it's a it's sort of an amazing thing because your generation of guys or the guys right before you, I mean, there were some heavy dudes around back then that that did uh, that did thoughtful. Uh, you know, I, I think it's primarily country music. I guess you could call it folk music. What do you call your music? Uh, pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's country music, right? Yeah, it's. It, but you go to Nashville when I first got to Nashville. And yeah, sang my, I didn't move there. To become a country star, sure. I just moved there because of that's where I was having fun, you know. Well, yeah, and it's interesting though because, like, because your music is, you know, you know, straightforward and and it it does come from that source that I notice in a lot of the records, you know, the tone of the record, you're always going to be you. You're going to write John Prine songs. You're going to play John Prine songs, but depending on who's in the studio with you or who's producing the 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 right. album and what they're going to bring to it. It really it, it it changes the sound, and I guess uh, when you do that, like I listened to the record, um, which one did I listen to? Pink Cadillac yesterday. Yeah. That you know you're working with some of the Sun guys, some of Phillips guys, right. and this, and then Sam come in and did two two songs on us. Yeah, but this is Sam. What in his seventies, right? Yeah, but he was uh, he was on it. Yeah, he was he, on it. He, he's a wizard, right? I, I think initially he came in the studio because he. He saw his boys were doing a project, and he wanted to kind of give them an extra push. Oh, really? I think so. Uh-huh. I don't think it was my uh, my singing ability that drew Sam Phillips to. But Sam, <laughs> but claims, you were a known guy. It was Sam claims he heard my voice, and uh-huh. he thought he'd, he thought it was so bad that he would stick around and try and fix it. <laughs> That's what he said. Yeah, he he's is he still around? No, Sam uh, passed about uh, eight nine years ago. And I talked to I I talked to Peter Gralnick about his book about Sun Sun Records. Amazing book, right? Thought, yeah, yeah, it goes all the way back. What was it, when you met him? Did, were you at the the original place in Memphis or? or? Uh, well, they they had sold that. Oh yeah, years, now to like a museum. It became a museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Sam in '61 had built a Sam Phillips recording. Uh-huh. service on Madison and that's where we ended up cutting and and what was it because it was a different record I mean the it was a, a, a dramatically different approach right and and when when you were in conversation with someone like Sam Phillips about your John Prine songs you know wh- what did he bring to him what did his boys bring to him that what was their idea Sam spoke in uh, parables uh-huh he 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 looked also like a character from the bible like yeah. he had these big bushy eyebrows <laughs> i think he saw he, himself he as would, a character from he the would bible get in your face uh-huh. and he looked like the burning bush was behind him you know <laughs> and uh he, he'd tell us like on a ballad he would say oh now you boys are walking down the street uh-huh. you're covering both sides of the street uh-huh. that is so nice and then he'd go now let's talk about sex uh-huh. you know and yeah yeah he said i want something like He's I want to do push ups too, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he would get like a like a all of a sudden like a preacher, you know. No kidding. Yeah. So like uh it was it was pretty it was just cool working with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, do you like that record? 
I love it. Yeah. I, I love it. Um, when we delivered that record to Asylum Records out uh-huh. here in L.A., yeah. boy, they, about five guys listened to it, and then four of them left the room, and one guy leaned over to me, and he said, John, I don't think what you have here is what you want. And I thought, wait a second. <laughs> what did he just say? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they just, uh, they, they, the, the kind of records that were on the charts then was, squeaky clean they were, they were good music now steely dan sure you know making great records but right. it was perfect technical stuff right and the eagles were making perfectly right. technical records all good music and everything but i wanted some noise yeah i wanted, I wanted it to sound like five individuals in a room bumping into things and, yeah you know playing and playing and being that's in it we, we paid for the noise and they didn't appreciate it. Was that yeah. one of those moments where you're like, I got to start my own label? That that was probably the beginning of it for me. Uh-huh. I had one more record I owed them, and I went and did it kind of half-hearted and said, that's it. And what, that was uh, the next record? Yeah, Storm Windows, which was actually more songs I'd written for Pink Cadillac. but we Leftovers. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But let's go back because, you, you know, this is a, an amazing thing uh, about your your presence in music and I, and I and I don't know anybody else other than and I don't know if people make this comparison I imagine I'm not that original but it, but uh that you, there's very few people who are respected for their poetry and for their 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 songs as much as like you and Leonard Cohen uh, you know Leonard Cohen sort of holds this place he does and and you know there's 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 a, there's about four records there that that you know that are that are undeniable masterpieces and and I think you're the same guy. You're the same place. You know, like I listened to I listened to Sam Stone this morning, uh-huh. and I and I think most people, if they don't know that song, should know that song. So I listen to that song, and I'm crying. You know, again. Right now, you know, when when you when you when that song came out of your heart and your mind, and that you know that is one of your most well known songs, and the power of that song transcends. You know, war, conflict, or anything—you you, know—and and speaks to a a darkness and a, and a pain that that is you know uh, eternally human. Right. Do you, what do you think of that song? Do you feel that? Do you feel like if you, if that were the only song you had written, that that you would be like, that's that that's a great song. I, well, I did feel all that about that song yeah. when I wrote it. Also, though, I thought that that song. Um, if somebody would have made me a bet, I would have thought that the appeal of that song might have gone, this was 1971 when yeah. I put it on record. I thought by 75 or 76 that would be a song because some some songs that are, are deemed political, yeah. Yeah. they wear themselves out. You go on the right. time marches on. And I didn't know that that song would stay... Those, those veterans are all still around, and yeah. the veterans from other conflicts are yeah. still coming home, sure. up and right. messed up. They get they get uh, all, they go through all this training to go to combat and then come back, and nobody. It's like people are incarcerated. Yeah, they just throw them back out on the street and say, yeah. "Okay, man, you're a citizen again." Yeah, yeah. good luck. Yeah, good yeah. luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you need some health coverage, we got a place. <laughs> yeah. You can, you Come can, check in occasionally. You can find it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, the tragedy of that, and also the tragedy of of you know uh, American life on a certain level too. I mean, there there's something that spoke to that in those songs and and some of the other masterpieces. Uh, you, you know, uh, uh, you know, Angel from Montgomery was uh, another one that that was a window in to a a, a a sort of American heartache that never goes away. Do you know? Yeah. I'm. Um, when I wrote those songs, I think I was m- trying to explain things to myself uh-huh. more so than uh, find an audience for it, because I, I thought it was a hobby for me. I didn't think I was... What, songwriting? This. Yeah, I didn't think this was something that you could make a living out of. Uh-huh. Right? And, 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 and surprise. Oh, yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> but, like, but the other thing that's amazing about, about the, those songs and about your particular song craft is, uh, there's a simplicity to it, but the turns of phrase are so fucking good. <laughs> you know, it's like you deliver the first line of the couplet and you're kind of like, what's going to happen? Oh, yeah. You know, and it's so tight and it's so economic. Now, like, and I, and I know you probably hear that about your poetry and about your songwriting a lot, but how much, when you sit with a song, 
Yeah, how much, how much, how much word math do you do? It's, um, when you got a good one. Yeah. I can hardly write fast enough. Uh huh. I feel like a court stenographer. I feel like I'm taking the song down and putting my name on it. Uh huh. But I was just the first one to hear it. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah. It comes in, like, all tied up in a bow. Oh, right. So, a whole thing. It's there. Yeah. And there's other ones you got to work on. Right. And I don't like it when it appears that you've done too much work on it because it shows to me. Yeah. Especially with repeated performances yeah. of a song where you know you really had to work and patch and glue things, you know? But don't you think you might be the only one that knows that? Uh, pro- probably. <laughs> probably, yeah. unless I tell somebody they don't know that. <laughs> yeah, if, like, unless you get off stage and go like, I can't listen to that coming out of my head anymore. <laughs> But like the, like other songs that make me cry, souvenirs. Wow, that you know, even you know, even sour grapes, which is a little more, it's not as heavy. But souvenirs is like heavy, man. I mean, you know, it, it's beautiful, but uh, but 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 it's heavy. Now, when you release these things into the world, or where they, or, or when they move through you, do you feel a, a, a relief? You know, do, are you are you are you? Uh, because I saw you in, uh, I saw you here a while back. When Connor opened for you, right at the Greek, yeah, yeah, and that was amazing because you're, you know, you're, you're traveling pretty lean. The band is a, you know, is a guy on on bass, sometimes yes. stand up bass, and that that kind of miraculous guitar player you got there. Yeah, he's, he's great, Jason <laughs> Wilbur. Yeah, and the drummer, and you, and you know, and you know, Connor. What was very funny is that because I talked to Connor, you know, you listen to him, and and he's sort of a natural songwriter. It's a it's a weird natural gift for him. Yes. And and you know, with songwriters, the guys I've encountered. You know, I want them to be heavy-hearted dudes that live a hard life, but some of them they're just they just got a thing. You know, he's got a thing, and he's up there with a full band and he's spitting and dancing and putting everything he's got into it, and it's good, but then you come out, you know, just with your gravitas and you being you and your lean little outfit there and and it everybody quiets down. And it's just a, a, a beautifully balanced evening of a, of a dude that we can all uh, just sort of relax. He doesn't have to jump around. The songs will speak for himself. He's going to say some funny stuff, and we're all going to be moved. Real professional. Well, I tell you, it, took, it took me a long time to settle down and, and enjoy that. Oh, yeah? Yeah. First 20 years or so, I, I kept thinking somebody's going to throw something at me or, <laughs> or stand up and go, what in the hell are you doing up there? You know? Really? Yeah, I mean... That just stayed with me because. Did that happen? Were you playing in those environments? N- no, not really. I was I was well accepted from the from the get go. But, <laughs> but you just had it in your head. I, it was in my head. Yeah, because, yeah. I'm gonna be found out. It was like eight months after I first stepped on a stage that I had a record contract. See, I, that's interesting. I didn't. Uh, I, I sang for the first four months. I didn't quit the post office because I. I was like, don't quit your day job. Right, you know? yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. And I started making three times um, the cash that I was making with a regular salary at the post office. I got, I would get that in cash under the table yeah. for singing. My, that's my hobby, singing yeah. songs. Three nights a week. Yeah. I could sleep the rest of the week. I was at the pinnacle. Yeah, that was it. My, you made it. it. <laughs> I'm fooling them. Right. I got it. So that's what you did. So you you were playing songs when you were a kid, and you were playing with your brother, and then you got that was your job. You were a mailman. Yeah. How was that for you? It was like being in a library with no books. Uh-huh. You you'd go out on your mail route and spend six hours out there, walking around, and it wasn't like the movies where people go, "Hello, Mister Mailman, yeah, just, how are you today?" Yeah, yeah. People never talked to me I, after three years. One lady had a I had a COD for. Her. Yeah. That's the first time I saw her, and she said. When's the regular guy coming back? And I said, <laughs> no. I, I am your regular guy. Yeah. <laughs> was that in Chicago? Yeah, I know, and out uh, even in the further western suburbs. Yeah. Now, now tell me, did you, did, how did you write those songs on your mail route? I wrote "Hello" in there on the mail route. I wrote "Sam Stone" on the mail route. No kidding. Yeah, I mean, there's not a lot to do once you're on the right street. Yeah. Now with hello in there, do you do you, was that provoked by a moment? Um, the best I can remember is me hearing um, uh, John Lennon sing uh, "Across the Universe," mm-hmm. and it had if I remember right, it had quite a bit of a echo or reverb on yeah. his voice. Yeah, and I got to thinking about 
It does have a lot of echo, yeah. About talking into like a hollow log and going, hello, yeah, hello in there. And that led to thinking about talking to a person that trying to get through to him. Yeah. And then that led to talking about uh, old people. people. Yeah. And that's how it came about. Yeah. And I like picking names. Back in my early songs, I loved picking the right names for the right characters. Uh Uh-huh. You know, Donald and Lydia and... Yeah, the guy Rudy that uh, in Hello in there, Rudy was the dog across the street. The lady would come out at four o'clock every afternoon and go, Rudy, Rudy, you know, he'd come in for dinner. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I went, that's the name of this guy's buddy, Rudy. You know? Yeah, know, yeah. I just like getting, I like the sounds of names. Well, that well, that's a, that's an important thing about it. You know, I talked to uh, to Jason Isbell about that. You know where. You know, it. I had to learn from uh, who taught uh, Nick Lowe. I, you, you know, he wrote that song for Johnny Cash, "The Beast in Me." Yeah, hell of a song. Right, sure is. And you know, and I, I just wanted to believe that Nick Lowe lived that life. You know, I wanted to believe that I was talking to the guy that the, lived it. It must. It must have been a part of him. Sure. In the song. But he said to me, he said, I'm a, I, I write songs. They, I, they're not all me. And I'm like, come on, they got to be you. Yeah. But there, but but you know, I I think like when you put this emphasis on names, you know that song starts to take a life of its own. You start to build a life around, you know that that yes. becomes part of the poetry of it, and those people become real that you that come out of you, right? Right. And that that so they're 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 part of you, but they're not necessarily you. Exactly. But they're kind of all of us. Yeah. Right. That's the thing about hello in there is just sort of like it's a beautiful sentiment, you know, about respect. And, and, and understanding of, of people who are aging and, and abandoned in a way, just by virtue of the fact that they've lived long enough to be ignored. Right. Wow, man. It's heavy shit. So, <laughs> you know, because they're, they are, the, the thing, it's like the blues music too, where, you know, you're talking about, you know, heavy hearted stuff, but the, but the release of them through music, it, 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 it actually is, it has the opposite effect. I always thought, um, I called, my outlook on the world, I call it uh, optimistic pessimism. Yeah. Admit that there is a, a problem. This right. Is, this is the problem. Give it, give the characters names. Yeah. And then say it. And yeah. So you're, it's kind of like the blues, getting yeah. rid of it. And you, you just state it. And if there's a humorous aspect to it, then that enters into it too, as it does in daily life. Yeah. People just don't walk around all the time with their head down there. Sure. Something, something. It gets so bad, it gets funny. Sure. You know? It, that, it, ha- it should. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. It gets so bad, it gets funny, or it gets ugly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can only cry so long until you start laughing about it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. Again, <laughs> you know, that's the best case scenario. So now let's talk a little bit about your relationship with, uh, with Steve Goodman. Okay. Uh, you know, because Steve Goodman, like, I didn't realize until this morning that he passed away so young. Yeah, and you know, because I remember he he had a a lot of records out, you know, for a, for a cat who passed away at thirty six. Yeah, like, and I remember seeing him when I was a kid. My parents took me to see him. You know, the city of New Orleans was the big song, right? Right. And and but you you aligned yourself with him pretty early uh, as a producer and as a as a as a cohort, right? Well, Steve was um, he was well um, into the Chicago folk scene. When I came along, I, I came along. What was that scene? Who was there? Um, Steve Goodman, uh, Fred Holstein, Eddie Holstein, the Holstein brothers. Um, uh, this was after, uh, in the 60s, uh-huh. there was a scene evidently in Chicago uh-huh. that it kind of mirrored the Greenwich Village scene, uh-huh. you know, and uh, from what I understood. Uh-huh. And then it kind of died out in the late 60s when... Like psychedelic music got big and all this, and then psychedelic late, music won. Late sixties <laughs> and early seventies, Steve Goodman came along. I came along. The folk scene started getting, coming back, getting back, and um, so you guys were just two different guys we playing. Were thrown in, I was thrown into the same well, like, and Steve was kind of the king of it. He knew, he knew every club, every club owner knew him. Yeah, and Steve came to check me out. Yeah. So and he was like little Caesar. He was yeah. just like Edgar G. Robinson. He, Steve was about five foot one, uh-huh. and he'd walk up to you and get right in your face, and uh-huh. poke his finger in your chest when he's talking to you. <laughs> and I'm going, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> I'd heard a tape of him singing "City New Orleans," 
and I had pictured in my mind that he was a tall beanpole of a guy with a little goatee. Right. And here this little guy comes in, you know, <laughs> in my <laughs> face. We were became immediate friends. Uh-huh. And he started taking me around and introducing me to people. And it was because of Steve that I, that I got my first record contract. Oh, yeah. Even I, before he did. Uh-huh. It became his shining moment. Yeah. Uh, he opened some shows for Christopherson. And Christopherson was blown away with Steve's songs and said, man, you need to go to New York and get a record contract. He says, no, you need to come across town and listen to my buddy, John Fry. Really? That, that was the kind of guy Steve Goodman was. Uh-huh. You know, it was his lightning bolt moment. And he said, no, no, you got to get in a cab and hear my buddy. He loved you. He really did. Yeah. And and that's when you met Christopherson? Yeah, that's when I met Chris. Chris came and listened to me. I had a club where yeah. it closed already. Uh-huh. Where the waitresses were counting the tips. The uh-huh. floor had been mopped. I was waiting to get paid. Yeah. I had my guitar in the case. Chris comes in with an entourage, and we put four chairs down, and I sat, sat right in front of him on the mic and sang my set. He bought me a beer and said, would you get back up there and sing those songs again <laughs> and anything else you have? Yeah. And I did, and Chris was just... He was obviously blown away. He loved it. Ah. And and at the time... Were you a fan of his? Yeah, and I couldn't think of a, more of a person that I wanted to play my songs for more uh-huh. than Chris Christopherson. Sure. I connected with his, his stuff that he was country, yet he was doing stuff like Bob Dylan. Yeah. He was really saying something uh-huh. in his songs. And there was nobody else I would have rather in the world played my songs for. And here my buddy Steve Goodman dropped him in my lap. Yeah, and play him twice for it. Exactly, right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. Are your memories of that night clear? They are. I got home, and uh, I sat on the edge of my bed. My my first wife, she was asleep, and she woke up, and I just said, Man, I said, you won't believe what happened. It just (laughs) happened to me. I said, Chris Christopherson heard my songs, and then he wanted me to sing them all over again. And... I said, they actually liked me. You know, yeah. It was good, you know. And what'd she say? She said, okay, well, go to bed and <laughs> think about it in the morning, yeah. <laughs> but it was... That's amazing. It was a moment, you know, that was for sure. Chris was the one that introduced me to Bob Dylan back in 1971. How'd that go? That All of a sudden, uh, Chris says, uh, hey, come on over. Uh, Carly Simon was opening shows for Chris, and... Chris said, hey, come on over to Carly's place. He goes, I got somebody I want you to meet. Me and Goodman go over there, and we're there for about a half hour, and there's a knock at the door. It's Bob Dylan. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he hadn't been seen in public for about five years. No kidding. Yeah. Because he had the accident. Right. And, yeah. And then he was really you know, trying to be low-key. He's up know? in Woodstock. Yeah, 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 I think he'd moved. Uh, I think he'd found a place back in the village by then. Oh, okay. It was close to it. Yeah. And... um he comes in and uh, we start passing the guitar around. And uh, uh, about the third song I sing, uh, Bob starts singing with me. And I think, my record's not out yet. And I'm thinking, oh, how did he know my songs? You know, <laughs> He had gotten a, uh, Jerry Wexler at Atlantic and sent him a, a free copy. Oh, yeah. He, he already knew the words to a couple of my songs. He's checking out the competition. I mean, I, <laughs> I wanted to run to a phone booth and call, I don't know who, like, <laughs> call home and tell them what I'm doing, you know. This is still the first record? Yeah, this is when, this is before I, everything, you know, exploded for me. Like, uh, I'm sitting in New York City playing my songs with Bob Dylan. It was, it was really crazy. That's crazy. And Chris was my biggest supporter. Chris, um, I gotta say that, um, I didn't realize this until after I was in the music business uh-huh. for a while. Chris didn't introduce me to his manager. He didn't introduce me to his publisher, uh-huh. his label. He didn't try and steer me anywhere except towards good people mm-hmm. and just let things Artists. Ha- happen. Yeah, you know? yeah. You know, and I don't, I don't know many people in the music business that wouldn't at least say. Hey, well, come on, you know, with yeah. me, and I'll publish your music or yeah. something. Yeah, Chris didn't want to do anything but good things to me. Well, know? yeah, he's like uh, I, I have no sense of uh, he's a powerful dude as a presence and as a as an is. artist. Certainly, as a, as a as a human. He's yeah, a, 
I have no sense of him as a, as a person because like I don't know him, but I know his his songs, I know his acting work, and I know that like he's he seems intimidating to me. But he, he's not really. I mean, no. he, yeah, he he just has that thing about him that yeah, yeah. You know. He wrote some good songs, man. Well, he sure he sure did, and he sure put Nashville. Uh, Back in a real good place. Though. Did he? How so? By writing those songs, uh-huh. it, it uh, gave a new standard to, uh, it opened some doors. For, oh, really? Yeah, for Nashville people, because Nashville's, country music is very conservative. I'm, uh-huh. not, I'm not talking politically, but, right. you know, it was, it takes a lot to change back then. What's entrenched. Yeah, uh, what, yeah, what's in, and uh, Chris came along singing songs, uh, not just love songs, but songs about people being in bed. And yeah, they didn't. They didn't talk about that. You know? Right, right. You know. Yeah, we uh, assume that uh, that George and Tammy were having sex, but yeah, they didn't talk about exactly. it. Exactly. <laughs> they didn't take the ribbon from their hair. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, Chris, like, uh, just so eloquent his songs were, but they were still down at home. Uh huh. Yeah, and yeah, that's something you share with him. That's much he must have seen you as a kindred spirit. Well, he. He did, and I didn't believe it. Yeah. It happened just like a dream. Yeah, really, it's, a, it's really amazing. And I imagine Dylan, like, you know, I can't get a sense of him. How the hell can you? You know, what Dylan are you dealing with? You know, I, I, he's a fascinating guy, and he's obviously written some great songs. But I imagine that Bob Dylan heard your songs and immediately knew it was something that he probably couldn't do. You know what I mean? That, you know, Dylan writes Dylan songs, but your songs are so efficient and poetically beautiful and, 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 and full of, uh, 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 an energy that isn't verbal fireworks necessarily, but something that kind of grows as you hear it. You know, I imagine he was like, you know, God, that guy's just nailing it and it's so tight. But there's no way that the, I can't say this for Christopherson, yeah. but if Bob Dylan hadn't come along in the sixties, and wrote those uh, those songs he did before he went sure. electric and the stuff afterwards. Yeah. Um, None there, of you would there, be there. There's no way. I would I would have uh, wrote a bluegrass song maybe sure. or something. Yeah, I wouldn't have tried to go through. The, he he not only opened the door for people. He made that door. Yeah, and said, "Here's the door. Right, <laughs> come on in." You <laughs> yeah. know, and like um, there's a. I, I guess can't, I true. can't imagine how many people. Wouldn't have taken that step to be a songwriter or something if Bob hadn't done that first, right? And he, I forget though, you know, like he, it's easy to forget just that that Bob Dylan has done everything. Yes, that like you know, it's one of those things where you know you're going to do what you're going to do, and then you're going to look up at the you know mountain that is Bob Dylan, right? And that's what that is, like you know, because he did the uh, he did Blood on the Tracks, Nashville Skyline, he did some very sort of earnest country folk records. And it's because he, he had a big love for country music. Yeah. He still does, I believe. Yeah, no, I, I he's out there, too. These guys who are 80 going, <laughs> what? I don't think nobody, they, you did this for so long. What else are you going to do? I guess that's true. I mean, but you, so you don't want to sit down, no? If you sit down, you're going to rest, you know? <laughs> I get, yeah, because you know, Do you go back to the post office? I don't know. <laughs> no, no, you know, well, what about just not work? That and I do that very good. Yeah, you're good at that. I really do. Yeah, I'm good at hiding. I, I leave the house so it appears to my family that I'm going to work or something. Uh huh. And I don't come home till about five. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this way, it still looks like I do something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now the other guys. So you came out. So yours was you're sort of the second wave punk, uh, folk uh, uh, revival then. So Dylan was the first. Is that how that works? Uh, that's the way I saw it. Yeah. And and who else was in your your group? Was Tim Harden one of you guys? Well, because of the way I was brought up, yeah, it was Bob Dylan and equal doses of Hank Williams right, Senior. Sure, because I was trying to impress my dad. Yeah, sure. And I wanted to. Uh, Those wrote, are good songs. I wrote the song "Paradise" for my dad. Oh yeah, that was his story. Uh huh. And I wanted him to recognize himself in a song. Did he? He did. He he. My dad did. Uh, Died about two months before my first record came out, mm-hmm. and I was able to play the record for him. I took a tape. Uh, I bought a tape player and took it. Uh, I didn't have a vinyl thing on my record yet. Yeah, I had a tape and uh-huh. I played it for him. And Paradise was the last song on the record, and he got up when Paradise started and he left the room, and he w- walked into our dining room, sat in the dark, and then came back in the room. And I said. Well, I said, well, what'd you leave the room for? We're not 
played your song. And he said, I wanted to pretend it was on the jukebox. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say he got choked up. Well, he probably did. That's uh, why he left the room. Right, right. right. He didn't want to show me. <laughs> Actually, the only time I can remember ever seeing my father cry was when uh, uh, Hank Sr. died. Oh, yeah. I was just a little kid, and I saw my dad sitting by the uh, this big radio down in the basement. and just the, the news had come out about Hank Williams dying. Yeah. And my dad, dad just like... Thought, you know, fell out, huh? You know, he was the guy for for working, working people and yeah. country people. And yeah, he he sang what their life was about. Yeah, great songs, right? Great, great songs, and and his voice was, it had that thing in it. Yeah, right? yeah, and he was young. What was he like in his twenties? Twenty seven, right? I think. Isn't that crazy, man? It really is, considering how many great songs he wrote. Yeah, it's it's amazing with the like even with the you know I was talking about Buddy Holly the other day. Who wrote some pretty amazing songs and a lot of songs? You know, I think he was pretty young too. Wasn't he was he? very young. And so, so Cropper and Dunn. So Cropper, how, how do you hook up with him? How do you decide to do a record with Steve Cropper? And what were you, what were you trying to get? Did you want some of that stack sound in there? Or? I met Steve. I guess I met him out here mm -hmm. and got to talking with him and uh, found out he was still back in Memphis. I made my first record in Memphis. Mm -hmm at the old American Studios, Chip's Moments place. And uh, I like, there's something about Memphis. Yeah. It's only 200 miles from Nashville, but it is so different. How so? It's a more, oh, it's a more... Memphis is more deep south. Sure. And where Nashville, back then at least, identified more with the Charlotte, North Carolina, like it was southeastern. Uh-huh. You know, and Memphis was... Does that mean more big city in a southern way? Uh, wanting to be. Yeah, yeah. Wanting to be right, more, right, more right. a big southern city. Uh-huh. And Nashville now is bustling. It's a, it is a big southern city. Oh, yeah, city. I love yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I love going and down it's there. it's growing like crazy every day. I'm surprised Jack White hasn't pulled you into the studio yet. I have not had the pleasure of meeting Jack White. You have yet, not met I, him yet? No, but I, I love him. I love his playing. And I, oh, what? Yeah. How you should he should get you in there. He'd be, you know, he'll he'll have you come over for a one-off. He'll just well, cut a single with you. I don't seek out people. I, I, <laughs> I prefer bumping into him. You know, how do you not bump into that guy in Nashville? He's, you know, you certainly know him from about a mile away. He's a big, yeah, tall dude. Well, I would imagine, you know, our yeah. time will come. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, so, all right, so you do that record with uh, with Steve, and, you know, what's your relationship? How much with it? Because it looks like you got, you know, Jackson Brown's on there doing his uh, backup vocals, and he's another guy I imagine has a tremendous amount of respect for you. Jackson, I knew real early when he did his first album. He came through Chicago and played the, the little folk club with uh -huh. Goodman, and I got started. Uh-huh. That saturate before using yeah, oh yeah. You know, and he had Man. one great song after another on there. Crazy. So, so we met him at Jackson early on, and he became a buddy of ours as the few times we came out to L.A. early on. And Bonnie? And Bonnie, me and Bonnie were buddies from the get-go. Yeah. Like, we used to tour uh, her her bass player, Freebo, Bonnie. Uh -huh. Bonnie had a dog named Prune. Uh -huh. And Bonnie's brother Steve um, was would drive the station wagon. And uh -huh. We'd go out on tour together, and it was just great. She's a hell of a guitar player, huh? Oh man, I mean Bo Bonnie was even at that that age when she was in her early twenties. She could yeah. play that bottleneck guitar like yeah. She was not messing around. Yeah, she learned from the masters. You know, where did she come from? Bonnie, um, you know, her dad was John Wright. The, yeah. The, you know Broadway musicals and oh really pajama game. He was the guy. No kidding. Yeah. So and, she's a New York kid. Yeah, and um, they were Quakers. Uh huh. And uh, Bonnie was raised, I believe, I think more out this way. Uh huh. You know, but she went to school around Boston and um, fell in with that Boston, uh, what was left of the folk scene, right? In Boston, which was. A heavy bass blues scene. Yeah, yeah. You know, and um, that's where she picked it up. She picked it up. You that's know? interesting that that she comes from that. Like John Hammond Jr., another right, guy. Right. I mean, she came here. Barney came from a a musical family, right. but it was a total different different part type, of, different part of music. You mm -hmm. know, and she just picked up on the blues early on and loved it. Loved it, and that's what she wanted to do. Do you know John Hammond Jr.? I met John. I hadn't seen him now in years, but hell of a player. Uh, he surely is. Wow. And think to be the son, uh, like his dad. Yeah, was, yeah. 
His dad, without his dad, no Bob Dylan. And that's his dad, his dad, and um, no Billy Holiday. His dad's right up there with Sam Phillips, and no doubt, everybody, those guys. They, they, they knew enough they, to record the geniuses. They weren't musicians themselves. They right? were very intuitive to know yep. whether somebody really had something unique, mm-hmm. and they would recognize it and give them space to grow. So, yeah, and also the, uh, the well, J.D. Souther, another great songwriter. Yes, J.D.'s wonderful. The last time I saw J.D. With me and my kids, one of my boys were out here with me the last couple of days. And he reminded me when Snakes on a Plane came out. We, me and my boys wanted to go see it. There was nobody in the theater, right? Right. Just before the lights go down, there's one other guy. It's J.D. Souther. <laughs> so we go sit with J.D. and we all watch Snakes on a Plane. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. Right? That's an odd moment. And is that your brother he played on that record, too? On uh, uh Dave, on, on Common Fry. Sense, yeah. On uh, uh, let's see, Dave played on a couple of my records, but I don't think he played on on Common, on Common Sense? Sense. Yeah, yeah. And ha- and did, did, was that? Did he have a music career uh, of his own? Uh, my oldest brother, he just played an old timey band, and they played around Chicago forever. Some. Yeah, he was a my, my brother uh, that was a musician, Dave Prine. He's he still in Chicago, and Dave was. Uh, uh, whiz kid, Dave. Dave yeah. was the brain of the family. Yeah, he actually went to college and got a degree. And, yeah, you know, still around. Yeah, and he he would lecture. He's retired now, but he still plays music. Yeah, you guys you tight. Know, we played music down. At, oh yeah, we played music down at the family reunion together. Oh, that's great. I try and get up there for a Cubs game or uh-huh. you know, uh huh. And um, well, that's good that you got the relationship still, huh? Oh, definitely. Um, I love my brothers. And how many you got? I had three, and we lost one a couple of years, about five years ago. Uh-huh. My brother, Doug. Yeah. He was a retired Chicago policeman. Oh, wow. Living up in uh, Northern California. Oh, that's pretty. Yeah, he was a wild one of us. He, Doug was the one that <laughs> I wanted to be like. Him. Yeah. <laughs> Doug, Doug was the guy that drove around on a motorcycle. Yeah, he, yeah. He'd drive it one block and push it for three blocks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So after you did, like, when you made your own label, like, that, I mean, you see, and you still have uh, Old Boy Records, so that was after after Storm Windows, so everything after that is all you. you yes. It's all your stuff. Yep. And I, now, and, uh, and how, when, you got a new record coming out soon? Yeah, we got a record uh, called For Better or Worse. Yeah. It's a collection of uh, uh, boy-girl duets. Yeah, I did that one about fifteen years ago, called "In Spite of Ourselves." Yeah, we didn't. Wasn't Lucinda on that one? Uh, Lucinda was on "In Spite of Ourselves." Yeah, yeah. And her sang two uh, Hank Williams songs on it. Isn't she something? She, uh, Lucinda's uh, otherworldly, I believe, as a poet and a songwriter, yeah. and yeah, she's determined too. She she goes out there and she's does a deal. Yeah, yeah. yeah I've yeah. had her in here. She's out on the road all the time too. Yeah, she's she's wonderful. And who's on this one? This one is. Um, we got uh, Allison Krauss. Oh, yeah. Iris DeMint. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love Iris. And Susan Tedeschi. Oh, yeah. Uh, she came in with a George Jones song I'd never heard before. No kidding. Called The Color of the Blues. And me and her tore it up. And, man, I, I, she turned out to be a, a we're real good buddies now. Yeah. All it took was one song. Yeah. Know? And she's just a great performer. Great singer, yeah. Yeah. And then we got uh, Miranda Lambert. Uh-huh. And uh, Casey Musgrave and uh, some of the new girls, you know. Yeah. And um, Kathy Matea, uh-huh. um, whom I'm leaving out, Holly Williams. Uh-huh. You know, she's Hank Jr.'s daughter. Yeah, I have uh, I have her record. We did a song that her grandma was famous for. Oh, really? That Audrey's used to sing with, with Hank Sr. Uh-huh. Called I'm Telling You. Oh, yeah? Yeah, she, when she found out that was the song I wanted her to sing, she was just thrilled to be able to sing one of her grandma's songs. Oh, that's yeah. sweet. And that, now, how about how about original material? What are you churning out these days? I'm I'm writing very slowly. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And uh, trying to get 10 that I really like, and hopefully by the beginning of next year, get another John Prine record out there, you know? I'll tell you, man, it's like you've had a you've had a rough go of it, you know, health wise, not recently. I have, I've been really lucky with it too. I, I'll tell you, yeah, yeah. It sounds like it was some uh, heavy stuff, man. It, it it was, but at the time, I felt. Um, well, you got hit with one cancer, right? I, first, I did, I did and um, it was a uh, neck cancer. Uh huh. 
but it actually turned out the primary was at the base of my tongue. Uh-huh. And so it was smaller than the head of a pen, so uh-huh. it took them a long time to get that. Yeah. Once they did, it didn't spread anymore, but they had to, to do some radical surgery on my neck in order to get rid of the nodes that had already been affected. Right, right. And I got a great doctor down in MD Anderson in Houston, Texas. Uh-huh. And boy, he said, I'm going to get this and I'm going to stop it from spreading. And this is what we have to do. And once you find the right doctor, yeah. one, the doctor that you believe in. Yeah. And you got something like anything related to cancer, that's half of the, you've licked it then. Sure. Because you can put yourself in their hands. Yeah. I keep telling people that. If, like, if you don't feel intuitively that you're talking to the right person, go talk to Someone, another one. Yeah, right. Because they all have different ways they want to do it. Yeah, that's the scary part. And he didn't—he didn't get your vocal cords or anything. No, he—he—he he, he, he didn't know. He knew I was a singer, but yeah, turned out my radiologist yeah. was a fan, and he wasn't supposed to tell me. Oh, so he actually built a little shield just over my vocal cords. When he got to, the radiation, to, yeah, to keep the vocal cords from getting the hardest part of the the hottest part of yeah. the radiation, and. uh when he told me he was doing that, I said, "Have you ever heard me sing?" <laughs> I said, "Because I, 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 I said if I, I said if I can talk after this, I said I can sing. You know, it might sound different than I did before, but I said all I do is say words, and then at the end of the line, I draw it out so people know it's the end of a sentence." You know? Did he get a laugh out of that? Yeah, he did. Yeah. Yeah, it turned out he had all my records. Oh, that's yeah. great. That's great. And uh, and then you got hit with another one, just uh, about five years ago. Yeah, uh, with the they, excuse me, it was lung cancer, but it, I mean, they must have caught it within a couple of months of it just starting. Uh huh. Only because if you're a previous cancer patient, yeah. you get checked out, right? Like uh, like normal people don't, right? So I would get a chest X-ray every six months for no other reason than. You had cancer. Yeah. Yeah. And they saw this right away. They asked what I wanted to do, and I said, please go in and cut it out. Tell me that I don't have cancer no more. That's that's what I want you to do. <laughs> right. They did. They didn't have to follow it up with uh, radiation or chemo. Uh-huh. It was that fresh. It was that new. No kidding. And uh, I guess unless you go get regular tests, that, that you wouldn't get it that early. Oh, you got lucky. Yeah, very. Uh, I've just been extremely lucky with... Bo- both times with the cancer that I got the right doctors. Yeah, you seem good. Uh, I, f- I feel good, you know? Yeah, yeah. So when you come out to Hollywood now, what, you know, what, what are you out here for this time? This time is, is purely stuff that I never do. I'm doing interviews because yeah. of that uh, record that's coming out. Yeah, and uh, well, I'm looking forward to it. And you, and you hung out with Sturgill the other night. Uh, I had a great time. Sturgill's wonderful. He, uh, I met him about a I guess it was just about a year ago, and I heard his uh, second record. That yeah, he had yeah. a modern one. Yeah, and I thought, boy, this guy's—he's on to something. You right, know? he's really got it. Whatever it is, he's got it. Yeah, real deal. And uh, he ended up doing uh, his latest record in the studio that I'm kind of a partner in. Uh huh. And uh, I drop in every once in a while. And here, one day he'd have a, a steel player in there. Yeah. Next day, they had these horns, R&B yeah. horns. And then I dropped it a third time, and he had a Moog synthesizer. And I thought, all right, Sturgill, you're doing it. Yeah. He's got a vision. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mixing it up. Well, there's a whole crew down there that are really sort of like getting back. Not unlike, I think, the uh, the folk revival, there is, there is a, a, a sort of true country music revival going on. With that guy Cobb, the guy who, uh, what's his name? Dave, Dave Cobb. Cobb. Yeah. yeah, Dave Cobb. That seems to really get like what those George Jones records sounded like and what those Waylon Jennings records sounded like before, you know, uh, I think country got a little desperate commercially that there was a way of producing country records that was clean, but, you know, specifically country sounding. You, you hear that or am I making that up? No, uh, I do hear it. What, what, Nashville became is is it became commercial. Yeah, I mean, really commercial. They would if they can make money doing that, no matter what they call it. Right, they're going to keep on doing it until it stops making money. Yeah, but because I, I agree with what you said about 
this coming along, this yeah. wave of yeah of songwriters like Jason Isbell, yeah, yeah, Chris Stapleton, and that. that it's all. I truly believe in music goes in it goes in sure, circles. Sure. You know, yeah. People don't take so much of yeah, <laughs> yeah. Of whatever you call it, right? And uh, they want the real stuff again, and it's coming around. Uh, I'm gonna be seventy this year, and so I've seen it happen before. It yeah. just it takes you just gotta have patience. Yeah, yeah. Wait till it comes around again. Yeah. Uh, what I do is I'm able to go out anytime and play as much as I want or as little as I want. And people and I'm, come. I'm lucky that the people are still out there. And oh yeah, they, they want to hear those songs. They you know? love you. They love you. And I and I had a, it's a real honor to talk to you. And I thank you for coming by. Uh, Mark, thank you. Mm-hmm.